Hello, and welcome to another episode in Security Clearance Appeals. And today we are going to discuss a very serious allegation that the government uses frequently because of the insidious nature of uh, alcohol and alcohol consumption. This is your host, Alan Edmonds. As you know, I've been an attorney for over 46 years. I've litigated over 3,500 security clearance cases, both uh, in the military and in the civilian sector. I uh, have offices coast to coast and am delighted to speak with you again on this uh, topic of security clearance appeals. Why do we call this an appeal? Well, what happens is you have applied for a security clearance and you did that by filling out an equip or an sf-86 and uh, on that form of course there's a section about alcohol and drug uh, abuse or consumption and you filled it out and um, or maybe you didn't fill it out accurately however the government found because of their background search they found alcohol charges uh in it the cities and towns that you have lived in in the past. And that's an important point that many people overlook. When you fill out the SF-86 and it ask you, asks you for prior addresses, they're doing that for a reason. They're gonna run a criminal background check in every address that you list on your SF-86. They're also gonna use it for uh, banking records, uh, credit problems, uh, civil, matters such as uh, civil lawsuits and um, of course employment so when you fill out the sf-86 understand that the individual questions have an impact or are used in other areas as a cross check of your information so when they ask a question in one area about your education uh, they will compare the location of where you went to college or school with the addresses that you lived in, uh, lived at. And likewise, when uh, you say that you lived in a certain town in Ohio or Illinois, they'll check to see if there's any criminal arrests. And they'll also do a check at the universities or colleges that you attend. If you were involved in a fraternity incident, such as hazing, or something happened on campus, you had a minor in possession of a fake ID, and that was handled administratively at your college, the uh, background search will expose that. So you've got to be very, very careful. If you have questions, I want to continue my invitation to everyone. Call me at 800-481-2526. I'm happy to take questions. And in fact, your questions are very valuable because sometimes they lead to the topic or the subject matter of a podcast such as this. And we get a lot of phone calls on marijuana use and a lot of phone calls on college drinking and alcohol. So today's topic is guideline G under the directive. You know, when we began these episodes uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the national security adjudicative guidelines. They were promulgated back in uh, 8 June, 2017. And um, virtually all the government agencies use these uh, guidelines as a baseline. 
They love to make their own uh, guidelines unique. And so what they do is they put a different cover page on them. But in essence, all the guidelines are the same. So guideline G in the National Security Adjudicative Guidelines is a guideline that you'll find uh, that the CIA uses or NSA or NRO. Uh, the Department of Energy uses them, and uh, they may have a different designation. But when you look at the content of the allegation, you'll find that it's more or less the same. And uh, so what I'm saying to you applies no matter what your agency is. Some of you may say, well, I don't work for the Department of Defense. I'm at the DOE, Department of Energy. Well, the content of the allegations are the same. The mitigating factors are the same, and the concern that the uh, federal government has is the same. Uh, when you work at uh, the Department of Homeland Security or uh, Border Protection uh, or ICE, uh, all the allegations are more or less the same. I've appeared in front of all of those agencies. They all have a different uh, administrative uh, format and um, it's often very difficult to navigate, but uh, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you uh, do that and also help you realize the pitfalls and dangers of trying to represent yourself. So many of you are uh, brilliant scientists com and computer engineers, uh, software engineers. It's just uh, wonderful the background of people that are my clients uh, bring uh, into these cases. They have uh, some of them have uh, double degrees from MIT or Stanford, brilliant people that unfortunately made a mistake and now they're in this system and they think that they can uh, handle it because they're brilliant and they want to try and do their best job. And what they do is they dig themselves into a deep hole thinking they have mastered their response and um, they send it in only to find out that the government has used their information, amended the statement of reasons and added more allegations. But I started this uh, little discussion here by asking, what are we appealing from? And the appeal from is what you've put on your SF-86. So the government finds some allegations, uh, or I should say factual matters in your SF-86 that give rise to the allegations. So then they prepare what's called a statement of reasons commonly uh, referred to as an SOR. And uh, it's a formal uh, opportunity to you to respond to their concerns. But, and that is called an appeal. And that's the first level of an appeal, the SOR, after they've uh, investigated, reviewed, and uh, considered your uh, SF-86 answers. So now we're at an appeal stage and you get the SOR and it contains allegations about alcohol consumption or alcohol abuse. And as I said, that's guideline G. So let's take a closer look at that. The concern under guideline G is excessive alcohol consumption often leads to the exercise of questionable judgment or the failure to control impulses and can raise questions about an individual's reliability and trustworthiness. And there are the two very uh, common infamous um, guideline 
concerns, which is reliability and trustworthiness. You'll see that throughout the adjudicative guidelines. So let's talk and break down this concern language. First of all, it says excessive alcohol consumption. So if you drink uh, one glass of wine a night, that's not excessive. If you drink two or three glasses of wine every night, the government would probably categorize that as excessive because there's seven days in the week and they're saying, wow, you're, you're uh, drinking 21 glasses of wine a week. That's excessive. Then there's the issue of binge drinking and drinking at bars uh, with friends and everything. And that falls into this category of failure to control impulses. So you're out with a bunch of friends, uh, be it uh, ladies night out or uh, football night out and uh, your peer group is uh, getting excited about a sporting event or your peer group is engaged in a, a dinner and drinks and everyone else is drinking so you join in and uh, either you're trying to keep up with them or uh, you're drinking yourself a little more than you normally would so they're saying in essence the government is suggesting that you cannot control your impulses. And again, this has to do with reliability and trustworthiness. And what are we talking about here? What is, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is how you act in public with your friends is a concern because the government thinks if that's the way you behave in public on your off time, how are you gonna act if you're deployed or if you're at a conference or at some important meeting off location or out of the country, how are you going to act if a stranger or some people that you don't know that well start drinking with you and offering you alcohol? They're afraid that you will uh, lose control of yourself. And if you have a security clearance, you'll give up sensitive information or perhaps you'll allow people to enter secured spaces that they are not authorized to enter. Now, you may think that's uh, far reaching and that that would never happen, but in fact, it happens uh, all the time and it happens on a very, very large scale because there are certain countries that are absolutely um, actively seeking uh, secrets and sensitive material from our military bases our uh, engineering labs and uh, the Chinese are the most prolific at this and uh, the government is very much aware now of what the practices have been in the past so alcohol is one thing that's so easy to uh, start indulging in and that's the concern so and that doesn't even touch upon the individual who actually is a private drinker or who consumes alcohol by himself and uh, maybe gets a DUI, and then he gets a second DUI. And uh, maybe there's no accident at all. There could be an accident. But once you start uh, having uh, two, three, four drunk drivings, uh, DUIs, driving under the influence, or DWI, driving while intoxicated, that shows a reliability and trustworthiness issue as well. And the government will file a statement of reasons. Um, there are, 
disqualifying concerns and um, or concerns that raise a security concern. <clears throat> that is, as I've already indicated, that the alcohol-related incidents were away from work. Uh, there could be fighting involved. You got in a fight with somebody when you had uh, too much to drink. Or there could be child or spousal abuse. You could have uh, hurt a child or had a physical altercation with your spouse, and it was based on drinking. The other thing that often gives rise to this is when law enforcement is called to your premises or the place of your employment. And what am I talking about? Well, let's say that uh, a married couple is arguing and they're in an apartment or a condominium and they're arguing so loud they're shouting at one another and then somebody calls the police for disturbing the peace. And the police come and um, they arrest one or both of the parties. And now you have a reportable offense, which is the arrest. But more importantly, you're going to be facing a guideline G alcohol consumption issue on a statement of reasons. Other uh, behaviors that are disqualifying and create a security concern are incidents that happen at work. And one of the most common uh, behaviors that we see in my firm here is when people come back with alcohol on their breath and uh, their supervisors or co-employees um, smell the alcohol and they report it. Um, they think that uh, you think your co-workers are friends and I hope they are, but we see more and more instances where people report to uh, management or to HR that an individual has returned from work uh, with alcohol on his breath or uh, was under the influence, had impaired conditions, uh, was uh, slurring their words, uh, being loud or being argumentative. So we see that frequently. And those are some of the behaviors uh, that uh, are a concern. Um, the other thing that can happen is you could have in the past received alcohol uh, rehabilitation treatment. You could have gone to a facility, a mental health facility. It could have happened in the military, or maybe you went to a private clinic, but you were diagnosed with an alcohol condition and it was reported uh, by that doctor in his notes and the government can get a copy of those notes. If the government does that and they find out the, about this mental health professional or a qualified medical doctor that gave you a diagnosis of alcohol abuse or disorder, that will give rise to a statement of reasons. Another thing is that, uh, and we see this frequently, some of my clients um, leave treatment early they don't follow the treatment advice once they've been diagnosed. They say, uh, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. I did it for a couple of weeks. They want me to do it for 12 weeks or 36 weeks. I'm not doing it. So the government says, well, your inability to follow a treatment protocol is a concern. Um, so there's lots of areas here that uh, the alcohol issues arise. I mentioned the military. If you have a military record, let's say you went to 
uh, Article 15, captain's mast or uh, non-judicial punishment and involved alcohol, that's a matter of record in your military record book. Um, or if you were engaged in um, spousal abuse or uh, a divorce where alcohol was involved, that's going to be recorded. Now, that divorce action is not only recorded if you're in the military, but let's assume you're not in the military, but you get a divorce in a city. Let's just pick a random city, Boston, Massachusetts. So you live there. They do a background check of public records and find out that you got a divorce. Well, they could pull the divorce file. And if there's declarations from your spouse that are derogatory or negative, about you consuming alcohol to a point of intoxication, the government is going to find out. So that's all the bad news. And I'm not here to discuss every single incident that could give rise to that. But if you have questions, call me 800-481-2526. So now we have the statement of reasons, which is the first level of an appeal. If you don't answer the SOR, then you will lose your clearance. The SOR has a very strict time limit, and it also is a document that requires a formal response. Many of you just write back a letter of one or two pages, and you think that suffices, and it does not. So the response to an SOR is formal. Ours run anywhere from 20 to 30 pages in length, and we treat it very seriously. Um, so now you've done that and, and you've got the allegations and they've presented you to be a pretty bad person, uh, a person that is being controlled by alcohol or a person who cannot control himself. And so what do you do? Well, the job of the good attorney that's experienced is going to uh, look at your case and they're going to try and develop a case called mitigation. And there are mitigating factors under this guideline G. Let's take a look at them. Under paragraph 23A, one of the common mitigating factors is the passage of time. Let's say the government is raising a DUI that you got 20 years ago. And you'll say, well, that's ridiculous. The government would never do that. Well, guess what? The government does it all the time. The government will try and show a course of conduct with DUIs or any alcohol event. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you did have a DUI 15 years ago, and then you never had any more drunk driving charges. However, two years ago, you went through a divorce and the police were called to your house for domestic violence. And your wife or your husband complained that you hit them and were uh, out of control because of the consumption of alcohol. So now they're connecting the dots between something that happened 15 years ago and something that happened two years ago. And they're going to file a guideline G allegation based on alcohol consumption. Um, another mitigating factor is when you get these type of allegations, some people can admit that they had this problem in the past and they can provide evidence that it's overcome. What group of people comes to your mind or what agency or program comes to your mind where this is very common? Well, the answer is Alcoholic Anonymous. 
Alcoholics Anonymous is a great organization, a 10-step program. But what do you have to do in that program? You have to admit that uh, you did have a problem. And then you go on and participate in the program and you produce evidence how you overcame the problem. A third common mitigating factor, and one that appears in the guidelines, is that um, you've participated in counseling or treatment. And here they're talking about a formal treatment program, um, the Betty Ford Center uh, out west, or some formal program. Maybe it's a residential program. It doesn't have to be. Or it could be a uh, program that you are participating in in some other agency uh, through a hospital or through the Veterans Administration. And you participated in it, and you have a certificate of completion. So all of that is mitigation. Now, to tell you the truth, that's only the tip of the iceberg because our office has 17 items that we want from our clients on alcohol consumption. We ask them to produce that uh, goes to mitigation. We win a lot of these cases and uh, it all comes down to preparation and it all comes down to experience. There's no way that you're going to do a credible job for yourself and learn this in one week or two weeks. It's just not going to happen. Uh, your job is too important. Your, your paycheck is too important. And your clearance is vitally important. If you don't have a clearance, I assume you'll lose your position. So when you get confronted with a guideline G allegation in an SOR, which will probably also be accompanied by a guideline E, personal conduct, call us because you're in deep water and uh, we can help you. Uh, we love difficult cases. We litigate all over the United States and we're here to help you. So 800-481-2526. And then before I close, I want to remind you of a free resource that's available to you. And uh, you found one of them because you're listening to this podcast. But Spotify and other platforms carry our weekly podcasts. And we also have YouTube videos, uh, approximately 32 of them, that are available to you on YouTube for all subjects uh, concerning uh, security clearance appeals, military upgrades, and debarments. So avail yourselves of those and call us at any time. We're here to help you. Thank you.